Welcome to the Queer Conversation podcast brought to you by Lotol Media, a show where we discuss all things queer. I am your host, Silke Bader, a publisher and producer in the LGBTQI space in Australia for the past 30 years. In 2019, Danielle Scrimshaw was undertaking her honor thesis. A newly out queer person, she started to explore Australia's queer history, but quickly discovered it was hard to find, let alone access, published literature in this space. Desire to ensure queer Australian history is more readily accessible to all, let Scrimshaw do write she and her pretty friend a joyous look at the history of lesbian and bisexual women in Australia, from convict times through suffrage and liberation to today. Welcome to Queer Conversation. You have an interest in history and because of lack of history from a lesbian perspective, you decided to write a book and to fill that void. Yes. yes. So tell us a little bit about the book and um, mm -hmm. it's really interesting the way it's structured as well. Yes. And the title, yeah. the title. Yeah, the title. She, she and her pretty friend. I mean, yes. who hasn't heard that sentence in our Ex community? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I got the title is actually from a quote from a man named William Chidley. And he was describing um, a woman that his partner had been having secret affairs with. And I thought it was just interesting that he described it, them in that way, she and her pretty friend, because it just kind of, uh, it's very thematic about the, the roommates and passionate friends, romantic friends and everything. So, and that was from the late 19th century when he said that. So it's just kind of like this common thread throughout history that, like female bonds have just been considered as friendships or sisters rather than lovers and yeah the book is structured each chapter is about like a specific woman or time period or an important event throughout Australia's history that I think um, is important for the queer history of the history of queer women throughout Australia um, mostly in the past 200 years and It, I started writing it in my honors. I started writing it as my honors thesis in my last year of university, and so I wrote three of the chapters in, in, as part of that thesis. And after I graduated and finished the thesis, I just had all of these notes on other women who hadn't been in my thesis, and I thought, well, it could really just keep going and become its own own full project. There's not like there's, there wasn't really just one book where you could just kind of go to and be like, oh, here are. Here's all the stuff that we know about lesbian and bisexual history of like women in Australia, because it was all kind of just like here and there in like journal articles or books published from the 80s and 90s. And usually they weren't as, they weren't as accessible because I was lucky going into university because I had access to all of the books in the libraries. And I had access to all of these academic journals that usually you need a, like a paid subscription or you need to buy, you need to pay to read certain articles. So without that, if you're not going to university, I was thinking, how would you even know that this history is out there? So um, I, th I kind of wrote this book as like kind of like a go-to source. It's like a kind of like an introduction for lesbian history in Australia because there wasn't really anything else like it. I did interview over the last couple of years in particular mm. um, quite a few historians yes. who have just focused on that yeah. and it's like in the last 30 years of when I've been in, in publishing mm -hmm. 
like there was nothing at all, right? Yeah. But it just seems in the last kind of, let's just say five years, let's round it up. Yeah. Um, there has been a little bit of movement, which is really yeah. great. So uh, you, you focused on Australia, is that right? Yeah, yeah, because I found that there is a lot of content out there if you want to learn about uh, the queer history in like America or the UK and other like a lot of the western part of this part of the world like Europe and everything but the Australia's queer history was very limited mm. and it is growing and it has been growing since the 90s onwards and I think it will continue to do that there's a lot more people in the field who are doing research and publishing um, but in terms of books and um, available resources I thought that there wasn't there wasn't a lot out there and you had to try quite hard like you needed to know what you were looking for mm. to be able to um like source it and find it whereas there's um not so much available for just regular people who may not have may not have like thought that they wanted to read it but like walking into a bookstore and maybe they'll see see the book on the shelf and just be like oh this looks interesting and then hopefully they can fall down a rabbit hole of queer history and they can seek out other histories which can lead to um, hmm. international histories as well. The way you structure the book is mm -hmm. it's a historic um, timeline, right? Yes. From, yeah. from convicts yes. all the way through to the modern um, movement and yeah. uh, the liberation, etc. Yes. Can you give us a, a bit of a spotlight um, of the characters in the book and yeah. what they represented? Yes, I can do that. Um, so... There's a couple of chapters that are around like the eight, the late 19th century, around like the 1880s and 90s. Um, so one of the figures from that time would have been um, who can I who can I pick out? Harriet Elphinstone Dick, who was a swimmer. She she and the her partner who came out with her, Alice Moon, they immigrated from England in the late I think it was the 1870s. They they came out and they. Um, moved to Victoria, they, they arrived in Melbourne, and upon their arrival, they Harriet particularly started to teach swimming lessons at the St Kilda Sea Baths, because Harriet was a bit of a bit of a, like an athlete, and she she did competitive swimming when in Brighton in England. So she came out and she did a few swimming competitions in Melbourne as well before um, she and Alice opened up a women's gymnasium in the CBD of Melbourne. So, and it was just, it was all just for girls and women's and women, um, no men allowed. And it was just, just a focus on like physical fitness and health and to give it, to provide an education. I can't remember the date off the top of my head, but it was like in the 1880s that the gymnasium opened. Yeah. And they just run these, ran these courses. And Harriet was also very, um, like an advocate for, um, different like so, sorts of clothing like appropriate clothing to wear she was very against like corsets and things like that which I think by that stage they were kind of going out of fashion anyway but and even promoting like pants for women or like a skirt at least not like these huge layers of like floor length skirts and everything so just to just to allow for movement it was which I think like led to like women's indep independence and of course this was running alongside like the the early suffrage movement for white women as well. So it was just like a matter of getting women to learn more about their bodies and become like independent and like physically well and everything. And how was it known that there were a couple? 
I think with a, with a few of the women in my book, it's not like confirmed. Like that we don't. It's it's really difficult to get like um, evidence. But I think just the matter of like these Harriet and Alice, they lived together for quite a while, and they ran this business together. They um, they moved a few times within Victoria. They taught lessons in like regional Victoria as well, like Ballarat as well. Um, and I'm not sh- I'm not sure about their contemporaries at the time whether whether certain people realised that they may have been a romantic partnership, but um, especially like people. Th- People now, researchers now kind of look back and think, okay, they were they were probably together, especially with like Harriet's um, interest in like women's physical health and everything. Well, not necessarily she had to be a lesbian, but you know, it's just um, accepted now that there was the potential for a queer relationship. And they did they did um, separate at some point. Alice Moon. She moved to Sydney and she um, became a journalist. Then she died quite young. She lived in Sydney for a, u- a few years before dying. And um, Harriet, Harriet followed her to Sydney for a few for a couple of years as well. But um, they lived they lived apart. And Alice kind of led this separate life where she was she made other friends and she became like part of this literature community and the journalist community. So. Um, and Harriet wasn't like left in her will or anything, so it kind of seems like something between them happened, or if Alice was just tired of living that life in Melbourne and wanted to seek out her own her own fate and everything. Mm. So it's very interesting. Yeah. Mm. And then Harriet returned to Melbourne, and I think she ran it. She ran another gym with with another woman before um, passing away. So. Who would, how would you find out those particular details of somebody who is not like a, you know, who documented her life basically? Or did, was it diaries that were left? Yeah, or? so neither of them have left diaries, which is always very helpful when someone does leave a diary or like letters behind. But in a lot of cases, that's not the, not the case. Or if there had been letters, I presume it would have gone down the family line and either they've been thrown away or they're just somewhere in someone's basement. But um, yeah, they were, they were quite prominent public figures at the time because of the gymnasium and their business. So they were reported a lot. They, there's a lot of newspaper articles about them, not just about the gymnasium, but just like their like social outings and when they were, when they were traveling for classes and everything, because the newspapers, newspapers back then, they kind of like They reported on people's movements and everything. So, like, there were there would be little snippets in the paper saying that, like, oh, Miss Miss Moon and Miss Elphinstone Dick have arrived back from Ballarat. So, what's another person? Moving on to the timeline, maybe mid 1900s after the war, maybe or mm-hmm. yes. So, well, in the in the mid century, in the mid like 20th century, yeah. I was I, there is a chapter about like queer bars and and restaurants and things like that. So I looked at um, Val Eastwood in Melbourne who opened a coffee lounge in Swanson Swanson Street, Melbourne. And she opened that in 1951 and it attracted a lot of queer customers and also theatre goers because Val, Val came from like a musical background and she was a dancer herself and she taught dancing lessons before um, going into, before opening the coffee lounge and going into this like, this, other business so that that was very interesting to write about 
and to read about. So she had this coffee lounge for a few years. There was a piano. They had musical performances. It was open from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m. until the last train went left Melbourne. So it and it sounds sounds delightful. Sounds mm. very fun and vibrant with all these like different sort of characters. And people would come there and dress up. And Val would wear these Italian tailored suits and everything, and like use have a cane and everything. Wow. So, yeah. Has there been any other um, publicity around her? Yeah, there has been. A, there has been quite a bit because Val's very, very popular, and uh, there's a lot of there's some other um, historians who've um, who's who have written or spoken about her. She's um, kind of she's very admired, and because she was open with her sexuality, and she did, she was um, upfront about being a lesbian. So I think, especially from like the mid 20th century onwards, you find that. There, there was a sort of like identity confirmation and everything. People did come out, and so yeah. So she is she she is popular. There's not like a, there's not there's not like a huge bio, there's not like a biography like a standalone biography, which I think would be interesting with someone like Val. But yeah, she is quite well known within like especially with like the older queer community. People mm. people still remember because she also had venues up until like the 1970s. So, yeah. yeah, what I really love about your book, just chatting with you, is I see or hear that you are not highlighting like really, um, you know, well-known yeah. um, women, but everyday women who just yeah. run a small business yeah. and they just, you know, live their life. Yes. So it wasn't like you're not, which is really interesting yeah. because I guess often you would hear or read about just people who were very famous for whatever reason, right? Yeah. So you're, you're really looking at everyday people. Yeah, it is funny that you was, say that. Was that your intention? or? Um, I think it's just kind of how it, how it played out because a lot, of, a lot of the people, a lot of the histories that I could find and what had been written about previously um, were about, like all of these women have been written about previously by other historians like Sylvia Martin, Ruth, Ruth Ford, um, Lucy Chesser, really great historians from like the 90s and 2000s, their work was published. So I already had kind of like a lead for each one. And I, but even, even just, even if you look, if you type in like famous lesbians in Australia, it would just kind of come up with like more modern results rather than people from like the 19th and early 20th century. So it just sort of happened that I did notice while I was writing it like, oh, a lot of these people are either like like business business owners or they're, they're academics and writers, um, things like that. Or there's something to do with the theatre. It was very funny. And I think... Um, Maybe, like maybe that's just like sort of like a theme. Maybe it kind of like lends itself to um, uh, I don't know, like an identity sort of thing. But they all kind of like they all they all seem to appear in certain um, environments and and contexts and everything, which I thought, mm. I thought was really interesting. When you did the research, did something cross your mind, such as I wonder how I would have lived. Yes, yes, uh, all the time, all the time. I, I, I'm really interested with that. And I kind of, I like write about that in the book as well because I'm just like, oh, I wonder if I would have been that brave at that time because um, writing about like the convicts and everything in the 1840s and there was usually like these 
very like troublesome convicts who are like violent or just disobedient, getting drunk or having relationships with other women. So they kind of like extended their sentence as a prisoner because they weren't behaving. And then, of course, there were other convicts who just kind of did what they told, they were told and everything and just went on with it and tried to get out as quickly as possible and get married and things like that. So I, I, when I was like reading about that, I do wonder, chapter I wrote, I tried to like put myself in that era and, their, and pe- different people's shoes. And the same with like, um, I wrote about Lillian Cooper and Josephine Bedford who lived in Brisbane and Lillian was a surgeon. Josephine worked a lot with um, like the playground movement. She helped like establish Queensland for Queensland's first public playground which is very interesting because I wouldn't have thought about like playground history before so um it was during the first world war they went to Siberia to to serve in the it's called it was the Scottish Women's Hospital or something like that um there were there was a call out for to, for surgeon to for surgeons to come to Siberia so because Lillian was a surgeon she went to um to the front line and Josephine worked at like she was Josephine was driving ambulances and, and main, maintaining them and everything and transporting um wounded soldiers and something like that again I was just like oh I wonder how I would how I would have been even like as a civilian or like mm. what like how would I how would I how would I behave or react in like these sort of, like sort of situations and even during like the the suffragist movement and even during the the 70s gay liberation movement would I have put myself out there like being on the street or would I think it all just depends on people's like personal experience as well and how like their um relationship with like their family and work and because a lot of people as like thinking about the 70s liberation now a lot of people couldn't come out because they would have lost their job or got kicked out of their rental. So, mm. but back to the question: What yeah. would you have done as a convict? Would you be? What would I have done? <laughs> I think I would have behaved. I think I, I'm. I think I would have. Um, I think I would have tried. Just did my put my head down and just do what I could to um, get out of that that prison and everything. The fact the female factories, and then yeah, and then I I don't know what I would have done done after being released because you're released into this country that that is on the other side of the world you've basically been exiled like you have if if you wanted to get back you had to try and like marry an Englishman or something or someone who was going to return to England eventually or you just a lot of people just started lives here anyway mm. and some people yeah were became really successful but others just kind of like faded out in the archives and you don't really know what happened to these women once they were released Yeah, we we have these thoughts of how we might might act and behave and make choices in the past, but like the past is like a foreign a foreign country pretty much. You, we, it's entirely different to how we are now with like social customs and just the yeah the reality of living that in that situation. It's one thing as a hypothetical, but another to actually live through it and kind of juggle these like the risk and the danger of certain things, especially in mm. World War II in Germany, yeah. After writing the book, did mm-hmm. you have, like, a big thing that you took away from it? Yeah, um, I think just... That's a big question. I think just just the potential for queer history and the um, to be more open-minded when you are reading 
particular histories, especially like such personal histories about people. Um, I, after writing it, I realized that there's still a lot, a lot that hasn't been researched and written about, and particularly, a, particularly like a lot of the women in my book are, are white and middle class of a certain identity. And I thought it would be really interesting to do research on like um, immigrants or First Nations Australians to to get like a, a better sense. I'm not the I'm not I don't think I would be the person to write those histories because I need to you know, we all need to kind of like know what's what's appropriate and who needs to tell certain stories. But um, I think there's still a gap and I kind of hope that after reading this people would feel inspired to or to to seek out their their own stories. Um, to like to write their own, their their personal queer histories because I also think that each moment is history, right? Because like this like this moment is going to be history in the future. So I feel like um, we can we can keep writing queer history right now, and um, and we can also just keep looking for stories from the past because like my book is not an exhaustive history. There's definitely stories out there. I keep. Like after after finalizing the book, I've read about other women. I'm just like, oh, I could have put them in the book, but I was like, I didn't know about them at the time. Mm. So I think like there's, yeah, there's more out there, I guess. No, that's great. Um, so people can purchase the book online. Is it hardcover only, or is it available as digital? It's um, so it's paperback. You can buy it online or in store, like at Dimmicks or a local independent bookstore. Um, and there's also an ebook version, so we don't have an we don't have Audible, but there's ebook and hard copy. They can get it; they can order it from like Dimmicks online and other um, other bookstores online. So yeah, if you just look up "She and Her Pretty Friend" book, then it'll come up. Okay. Well, thank you so much for thank coming you. in and um, sharing this um, new release yes. of "She and Her Pretty Friend." Yeah, great. Thank you so much. No, you're welcome. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, or Facebook using the tag at LottleMedia, or head over to our website, lotl.com. Thanks again. And I'll see you next time.